everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen this evening oh my god you know we always have a lot going on around here at psychotic bump school uh we got a couple of guests coming through this night it's going to be a, a sort of a abbreviated lineup tonight i only got two guests coming through imagine that but they're amazing and you're gonna be in very, very good hands. Uh, we have our good sister, Lori Peacock returning. We're gonna be breaking down some of the latest in uh, current events and politics. And we're gonna be discussing the early signs of the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris cabinet. Okay, he's announced some cabinet picks recently. There's gonna be a whole lot more to come, but some of the early picks have been announced and we're gonna have a conversation about it and get a just, just a general sense of the pulse and the tone of the country in the wake of being three weeks out from the election of historical proportions, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the incoming 46th administration. So we're gonna be talking about that with Lori Peacock. And I'm also proud to welcome for the very first time, a good brother who is a, you know, he, he co-teaches in the Department of Howard University and the Departments of Clinical Psychology and Theology. Uh, his name is Dr. Ronald Hobson. And so uh, Dr. Hobson and I are going to be having an amazing conversation about mental health and politics. I mean, everything lately seems to overlap with politics, ladies and gentlemen. And so uh, Ronald Hobson has an amazing uh, perspective and take on all of these issues. And he's going to be breaking down some stuff with us as well from an educational as well as a mental health and theological standpoint. Amazing. So uh, that's going to be our show. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KC. WGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show after this. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, what you want, man? You want some breakfast or something? I want a little cereal or something. You know, yeah. A little milk or something. Something, man. Just a little breakfast food, you know? I don't know. Let's see what I got in my cabinet. Hold on, let me see what I got in my cabinet. I might have a little baseline of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Breakfast food. Uh, uh, uh. Breakfast food. When you wish. When you wish. Upon a star. Upon a star. To follow what? To follow what? And where you are. And where you are. Party over here, party over there. Where? Look. I made you look your dirty grip the picture pocket watch me book like get us all my minutes So call me hip hop did it so open wide and say Aww. And I was live I don't yeah, you don't and watch your show or the other or the other daddy long stroke Long daddy money If my name was Sonny I'd share a scoop Run a shit like rebels You can call me Barney Cause I take your fruity pebbles Dibble like an officer On top Get top that I'm fat true Drop the loot Then a scoop a hoop You're like a hula To school a fool Or be sent Or church to repent 
I get your guessing like ginger, just a hill of beans. I'm all that jazz and I kick, I kick, I kick. Hit the rhythmatizer, so please, so oh please, just give me just one more blast. I get off like Prince, but I don't have to show my ass. Pass the rest like a test. If you think you'll get ripped with your handicap fast rap and tails from the crib, I whip all that ass like face, baby. The sense is good. Cause I bust the rhymes A rhyme If I kick with Rock Kemp You're up for cover brother But I kick it with PD Cause I'm just another mother Suck a bro pop time It's bro pop time It's bro pop time It's bro pop time With the mix The dimension JB and Chico It's seven not six My shirt extra large But I wear I wear I wear it well Like the bars to the finish Making your eye pop Like your ace spinach Then it's time to let you know We count it up One, two, three, and four Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And as you know, ladies and gentlemen, the counting continues. The amount of court cases that are thrown out continues. And uh, lo and behold, the, the, the fantasy world of the outgoing occupant of the White House, uh, unfortunately, that persists as well. But nevertheless, uh, President-elect Joe Biden is moving forward with his uh, incoming administration. He's announced uh, his uh, parameters. He's announced his uh, stance as how to approach the Thanksgiving weekend that we're just coming out of. And he's also made some very key uh, cabinet appointments. And so I want to talk about the general mood of the country post-election. We're about two or three weeks removed. Uh, again, uh, the occupant has not conceded the race. Uh, the closest thing he's gotten to it was saying that he would allow for a transition. And uh, we are where we are. So I want to get a general mood of the country right now. I want to talk about these cabinet picks a little bit. And to help me have this conversation, I am so excited to welcome my guest. She's been here multiple times before. You know her quite well. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Lori Peacock. Lori, are you there? I am here, Mr. Rome. What's going on? Oh, my goodness. Well, just generally, I mean... Three weeks removed now, now, Lori. I mean, just just a matter. Where were we 
in 2016 at this point, three weeks removed from the election. <laughs> How does that compare to 2020, Lori? Oh my goodness. Three weeks removed, 2016. I was debating on Facebook with my Trump supporter friends who I don't have anymore, but I, back then I still did. And, uh, you mm. know, they were saying he gave it time. You just wait and see, you know, it may not be that bad. It might be better than you think. Well, mm. here we are four years later. We know none here of that was are. true. Nope. Um, and I did. I did listen to them. I did give it time. I did try to hope that every opportunity he would turn it into something positive and he never did. So mm. now I feel like there's like a collective sigh of relief. You know, mm. we're still we're still not 100 percent there yet because the beast is still in the White House and, you know, he's still making things a little bit difficult. But um, but, you know, I think now there is actually that little pinhole of light at the end of that long, long, dark tunnel. And I think that's where at least where I am. And I hope a lot of Americans are, too, where we're just kind of hoping and wishing and praying that, you know, a couple months will go by and we'll get Biden into into place and, and things will things will slowly but surely slowly. move towards some yeah. type of, you know, I don't I, I can't say normalcy because who knows what normal is anymore, but just mm -hmm. just some type of decency, you know, just some type of humanity that we've been lacking for so long. Yeah, I'll take decency and humanity over what we have right now. Absolutely. Because I think normalcy would involve uh, a president that doesn't suck up all the oxygen every day and somebody that doesn't demand the attention of, of the news cycle every second of the day and who's not picking petty fights. I mean, I would love to usher in those days again. So uh, I think I agree with you. Uh, the pen light is definitely pointing toward that direction and that uh, eventual outcome. Now, Lori. Um, <laughs> yes, one of the things people have been looking forward to is seeing how Joe Biden is going to govern. Is it going to amount to a third term of uh, President Barack Obama? Uh, some people are concerned that he's going to ignore the people that got him into the position that he's in. So they were very, very, uh, they were playing, paying very close attention to these picks. And uh, he announced a few of them this week. Uh, Lori, I know you had a chance to look over a couple of them. Uh, what can you tell us about what kind of stood out for you uh, with regard to some of these picks? Uh, I'll just tell the audience briefly before you start sharing. He announced his uh, pick for Secretary of State. Uh, his United Nations ambassador. Uh, he announced somebody that we all know quite well for his uh, special envoy for climate, which I thought was interesting. And mm -hmm. uh, his national intelligence uh, director is an interesting pick as well. So Lori Peacock, what are your thoughts about the early signs of Joe Biden's cabinet picks? I think from, at least from the, from the start, from what I've seen, he's, he's keeping true to his word. He's going to have a diverse group of people with him, um, diverse, both, you know, men and women, but also in, um, in ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's really interesting that the uh, head of Homeland Security is an immigrant. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that was really, uh, and maybe not even an immigrant who, who came over legally initially, you know, so mm. uh, I, I find that really fascinating and interesting and, um, and important, you know, because I think that it, it sheds a, you have a different perspective on things when you come from that environment. And so I think, you know, that, that pick is, is huge. And I think that yes. it's going to make a big, a big, a big impact and, and, and immigration. And, you know, 
I'm one of those people. I'm not, you know, open borders and just let people come freely and whatever. But I'm also not. You're going not. To shut them down and build a wall. Oh, no. You're but, not. No, I but know. But you voted for a Democrat. You have right, to vote for that stuff, right? <laughs> I know, right? Of course, <laughs> right? Anybody can come anytime, any day. Right. No, but however, that doesn't mean we need a wall and we need to keep people out or we make yeah, it. Right. We need to make it impossible for people to get here either, because right. this country, as we know, was founded by immigrants, and we can't. And that was, you know, something that has been was very important to the founding fathers, blah, blah. So, you know, it's important right. that we continue that. And, and I don't, I don't think that just cause we were here first or some people were here longer means that other people don't have the same opportunity. So, so yeah, so that pick I thought was really telling. Yeah. Um, I, so I, she's I, talking I, about yeah. Alejandro Mayorkas, ladies and gentlemen, Alejandro yes. Mayorkas. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. So that I, I thought was great. And, um, you know, just, just so far, I mean, it's only been a handful, but I, I'm liking the, the, the sprinkling. I'm liking the, the diversity. I'm liking the mixture. I'm, I'm liking, here. I'm liking that, you know, yeah, and, me too. uh, me too. I think I like it's only going to get better. Pick. Yeah, I think so too. I, I like the Mallorca's pick as well, because there are still a lot of children. Last I checked, mm-hmm. uh, at least 540 something that are still yet to be reunited with their families. And so someone that is an actual immigrant born in Havana, Cuba. And I found that, found that interesting as well, given the amount of support that Trump received from the Cuban community, particularly in Florida. Uh, this pick, Alejandro Mayorkas, was born in Havana, Cuba. And yep. um, that, that, that's very telling because if you leave it to certain news cycles, you would think that Trump actually dominated the, uh, the Hispanic vote, almost said Latino. So that we have to have that conversation at another time too, because what what's really going to emerge and i'm going to let you continue with your thoughts on uh, some of these other picks what's really going to emerge lori and ladies and gentlemen is that if democrats are going to do this and continue to have the success that they had during this most recent election cycle they're going to have to get a little bit better no a lot better at targeting their messaging because just because someone calls themselves latino or hispanic that's not good enough. You can't just send out flyers in Spanish and just think that you're going to tap into these respective communities with the same messaging. You know, you have Cubans, you have Venezuelans, you have Puerto Ricans, you have people from um, Ecuador. Um, you have to appeal to all these constituencies and just lumping them all into one big group is a huge mistake and a missed opportunity. So. Uh, we're going to have to get better at the messaging. The reason why Trump was so successful in Texas, just as an example, Lori, uh, newsflash here, I mean, they don't consider themselves to be um, Mexicans per se. They, they call, they, right. That's the Tejano vote. They call themselves Tejanos and they're very staunchly conservative and they right. voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Those aren't they don't consider themselves Mexican. So when he says, yeah, we don't want them coming into this country, they feel like he does. When they pull out their applications, they mark the box white. Right. Okay. And that's and that's an issue in itself, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's you're going to have that with the Black community. You're going to have that with the Latino or Hispanic community. Uh, you might, I mean, you might have that with other other uh, ethnic groups as well. I'm just not as familiar with them. But, um, mm-hmm. but that's what blows my mind is the ones that uh, just want to forget that their families, you know, may have come over here in, by whatever means to get to the United States, but now they're here. So they, right. you know, want to want to shut it down and not let anybody else in and have these really strict rules and, you know, the immigration and everything. And I, I don't understand that either. And I also feel like, I don't know if it's that they, they want to be more white. They think that they are white. Mm-hmm. They're not proud of who they are. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't know because I, I, I've, I've met many Latino men who were Trump supporters. And I just always thought that was so strange. And, and for me, I think for almost each, each and every one of them, it was about money. It was, they saw okay. him as a beacon of success, financial mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. And that for whatever reason with him in office, they were then going to have financial success, right. which I think is just completely bizarre. I don't know why anyone yeah. would think that, but right. I, I truly think that that's, that's what's in their mind. And um, it, it's, mm. it's interesting. And I, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I don't, I don't understand it. And I also don't understand people who want to be white, <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I just, you know, I, cause I, I, I'm biracial. I could have easily identified more as a white woman. Um, that would have been the easier road to take, but that's mm-hmm. not the reality, right? That's not my reality. Mm-hmm. And so to choose that would have just, I don't know, it, it's just yeah. mind boggling to me, people who do. So, yeah. Yeah. So to understand those voters who um, espouse those views, it, it's going to require some groundwork and the yes. things that they did in Arizona, for example, in the Navajo nation. And of course, what Stacey Abrams continues to do in Georgia with her coalition down there, uh, they're gonna have to get really, really specific about uh, messaging. Uh, we went in reverse fashion. We didn't go ladies first. So let's continue with the fellas. That was uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. He is, ladies and gentlemen, the incoming Secretary of Homeland Security. How about for climate change, uh, Lori? You call yourself a, a hippie at heart at one time. <laughs> so a lot of people on the left, the, the so-called left are for climate change. And the pick for this particular cabinet position is very interesting. Like I said, a familiar name. Lori, yes. What are your thoughts on the special envoy for climate? Yeah. So John Kerry, right? Uh, yep. Very interesting. Um, voted for him. Voted <laughs> ah, so I. I did too. Uh, <laughs> and See, uh, you and I have done yeah. our part to try to save this country for itself multiple times. And uh, multiple Kerry, times. <laughs> you know? So yeah, go ahead. Multiple times. So uh, yeah, you know, I'm tricky, right? Like, like, uh, yes, I'm a hippie at heart, but then also when it comes to, you know, and obviously we've got to do something about the environment. We definitely have to, because if we don't have a planet, what we can't do anything, right? right? So we've got to save our planet. We've got to save our environment. The fact that people don't think that's, an, that's important and the fact that people are still not willing to admit that we as humans have an impact on our environment blows my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, like how could you not think that? And, and then we have record-breaking heat and record-breaking cold and fires and all of these things that are just, you know, rampant now. Um, but, but there's no climate change, right? It's not, it's not real. It's a hoax. No, we definitely, we need somebody who is going to be really strong on it and we need people, you know, and and there's no reason why automobile industry, factories, manufacturing, all those things cannot comply to environmental standards. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason why they can't do those things. And, and, and make and still be profitable and still make money. You just have to shift and adjust and, and maybe not do what you've been doing the, the same thing for the last 100, 200 years and, and switch it up. But absolutely, I mean, we, we need to make changes. Otherwise, we're not going to have any planet to left to you know, fight about. Right. We're going to go the way of the dinosaurs. And, right. uh, you know, and my biggest, <laughs> my big fear, you know, is like that we do disappear and we're all gone. And then, you know, hundreds of thousands of years later as, as they're going through and they're digging up our our bones, just like we dig up dinosaur bones, they're going to find a DVD of like the Jerry Springer show. And that's going Uh, to be 
that's going to be wow. the legacy of humanity, you know, or even Donald Trump's speech, right? Any one of his many speeches. Mm. If that's all we have to show as, as, a, as, a, as a race and a humanity, that, that's going to be sad. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited for John Kerry and I'm excited that um, I'm really hoping that, uh, that, that we can make some changes, some positive, positive changes that are going to make a noticeable difference in, um, in our environment. Mm. Absolutely. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're joined by Lori Peacock, ladies and gentlemen. We're breaking down some of the cabinet picks, uh, the early signs of how the new Biden-Harris administration is going to operate. Uh, so far, so good. I'm going to round out this next pick by going quickly into uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Uh, I'll just quickly speak about him really quick. Uh, he's only 43 years old, uh, Lori. A uh, young guy. Um, went to Yale out of Minneapolis. And so, you know, He's all right already in my book, just because of that connection. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's just what it is. But um, yeah, he was already under the Obama administration. He was deputy chief of staff to uh, Hillary Clinton. And he's uh, going to be one of the youngest people to serve in that role in a very, very long time. And some fresh eyes are always going to be needed in you know every level of politics because some people want newer voices and newer perspectives and some of the gatekeepers in both parties have been there so long like mitch mcconnell's been there so long uh even on the the left some people say diane feinstein has been there so long that it's time for some fresh blood and new voices and so i'll just say quickly about jake sullivan unless you have further something to add to it uh he represents a new generation uh the youngest cabinet member picked so far um jake sullivan uh out of minneapolis uh do you have any thoughts on him yeah i mean you know he's obviously a brilliant guy to have come as far as he has at such a young age and yeah. i think that's a great thing you know to, to bring somebody young in especially juxtaposed against biden who is so so very very old but um you know mm -hmm. i i think i i think there's that's a good thing and it can only bring another perspective again the more the more perspectives that you can get yeah. Uh, will really only help our country, right? Because we are so diverse in the, even if you just mentioned in the Latino population is, is so diverse in itself. The African American community is very diverse. Like within each, within each culture group, there's subculture groups. So having young, you know, younger voices and, um, you know, highly educated people is only going to help. And I think it's going to really be a representative of our country, you know, of what our country is now, not what our country was 200 years ago, um, yes. but where we are today. And, you know, you're right. Like, I love Diane Feinstein. I voted for her every single time, but she's been around a really, really long time too. And, you know, she may or may not, her, her, her views are based on her life experiences, but they're also, you know, could be very, archaic. So I think bringing in fresh blood is, is a good thing for sure. Yeah. And I hear that. I don't know if you heard that she's stepping down, not from um, her um, Senate seat, but from that committee that she's been chairing for the longest time. Uh, oh, is getting close to 90 years old, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> she's really up there. And the more she embraces uh, members of the other party, uh, the younger guns see that and they're like, oh, you, you're a little bit too cozy with the opposition and they're trying to kill us. And so whose side are you really on? 
So I think she's been beginning to hear those those uh, footsteps coming. So she is stepping down. She's going to maintain her seat, but she's stepping down mm -hmm. from chairing that particular committee. I'm saving the two women last deliberately with the couple minutes that we have left. But I'll just say quickly, we have an incoming secretary of state, ladies and gentlemen, by the name of Antony Blinken. Uh, he was the deputy secretary under the Obama administration. And so, ladies and gentlemen, for those that are not triggered by the uh, administration of Barack Obama, this is a good thing. <laughs> Because when we had people that were competent and really knew what they were doing, uh, that was the very embodiment of the Obama administration. And so, yes, he has, Biden, I mean, has uh, thrown a, a, a net back to people that he's worked with in the previous administration. And that should serve as a reminder that this is going to be a very, very different administration. And I'm quite reassured by that. I want to talk about these ladies, but did you have a quick thought on Antony Blinken, the incoming Secretary of State? You know, I, I love Obama. I love all things Obama. I love Biden because of Obama. I'm not going to lie. So, right. you know, yep. so, yep. you know, if uh, anybody who had anything to do with with, um, you know, with with that administration is definitely OK in my book. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, I, I from what I've seen so far, it looks like he's doing a really nice job of picking people different types of people and, 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 you know, and, and why shouldn't he pick people he works well with, you know, I right. mean, that's, 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 that's going to help him do his job better to surround himself with people that he trusts, Absolutely. that he knows are good, that he, that he's worked with before. I mean, that's, right. that's how, that's how businesses are run. That's how things happen. You know, you, yep. you, you pull in people around you that are going to support you and lift you up and, and help you. And, um, and so I think that's great. I think it's great that he's picking these people that that he was worked with in the past and that he knows from their records are going to do a good job for this future administration. They're, they're, they're truly qualified. So I save these last two on purpose uh, just for you. Uh, <laughs> we have United Nations ambassador coming in. We have a director of national intelligence. Uh, Lori Peacock, would you do us the honors and share a little bit about these last two picks before we let you go? Sure, absolutely. So, um, Linda Thomas Greenfield. Yes. Uh, the uh, UN. That's the UN ambassador, correct? That's right. Yes. yes. So, super excited. You know, African American woman, just awesome. It's awesome. Um, she calls herself awesome. gumbo, a gumbo negotiator because she's known in across the world, you know, for her foreign relations work. And she has built relationships based upon her ability to cook gumbo. And this is a real thing, but <laughs> she is a trusted ally. And uh, we are very, very excited about this pick. That's Linda Thomas Green, a sister, ladies and gentlemen, yes. 35 years experience in U.S. Foreign Service Intelligence. It's, it's incredible. So I'm very excited about that pick. And we have one more uh, woman coming in. Yes, yes, for uh, national intelligence. Ooh, tell us about her. <laughs> so I, I don't know how you say it, it's Avril Haines or April yes. Haines, but- There you go. Um, yeah, so crazy that this is a woman in this, uh, in this role. Right. Um, I don't think there's ever been a woman in this role before. Correct. Um, so that's a big deal. And, you know, and she's, she's hard hitting. She's got the education. She's a lawyer. So I think she's mm -hmm. going to be, um, I think she's going to be really good. And, uh, mm -hmm. again, you know, it's just like, Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. You know, like already just in these few picks, you know, he's got young, young white guy. He's got woman in a role that's never been there. He's got African American mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. um, he's got John Kerry in there. He's got his old buddies. And then I'm actually, you know, as an educator and, and you too, I'm really excited mm -hmm. to see what happens with education. 
Um, yes. Anybody, anybody is going to be better than that beast That's of right. us. But uh, I mean, right. you know, my 15 year old could do a better job than she did. But oh, um, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's funny. And, and I, I could get off on education, go off on a tangent. But, um, you know, when they were talking about COVID and they're talking about giving, you know, funding and helping schools and so forth, it's like, you can't expect schools to open and, and have and have business as normal without giving them tons of money to That's change right. and alter and adjust to these COVID times. Right. So, and the fact that they didn't just say, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to handle it as a federal government. And of mm-hmm. course, individual states, individual school districts, they can do what they, what they want to, you know, they can do certain things themselves, but just to throw something at them and say, hey, here we go. We're supporting you and we're giving you this as a result. Right. You know, but the fact that they couldn't even do that was just, it was just appalling. So I'm excited to see who comes into these next cabinet positions for sure. Most definitely. And we know, ladies and gentlemen, some of y'all are not going to like it because some of y'all held your nose and voted for Joe Biden. Um, We understand that. And he's going to do some things that you're not going to like. But we're telling you, uh, we're going to deal with that. Um, We had to deal with Trump first, though. I mean, (laughs) absolutely had to. respond to that uh, historical uh, mistake. Um, it was an error, uh, the end of an error, as they call it. Not an error, the end of an error. We, we, had, to, <laughs> we had to address that. So Avril Haines, you're absolutely right, 51-year-old woman. Uh, she's really tough. Uh, she's also an Obama administration veteran. Uh, I read somewhere that she's ran in uh, Iron Woman uh, competitions. I mean, she's a very durable uh, woman not to be messed with not to be played with. And the fact that she is going to be the first woman, as you said, to be the director of national intelligence and given everything that Trump has done to cause the public to distrust agencies such as that who have coordinated Mm -hmm. uh, relationships with the CIA, FBI, uh, she's going to be the head of the DNI, the first woman ever to hold such a position. So those are the early picks of the cabinet. Lori, you did a great job. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Always yes. a pleasure to join you. Oh, we sure appreciate that. Come back and join us again, because as we said, there's going to be more to come. And um, I'm sure we're going to be tweeting and arguing and fighting online with the people that are going to be the detractors, but that's par for course. But Lori Peacock, thank you so much for joining us. This is Joy Suddeth, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Yeah, I see your little post talking about BLM is my motto. But you know it ain't. I see you over by the water cooler on your break. Talking about Tanisha, your mental health is super important to me. But you know it ain't. assume and surmise that educating you is somehow my responsibility. But you know it ain't. Hundreds of years later and still you think your guilt is ours to bear. But you know it ain't. Yeah, you say our friendship is the most important friendship you've ever had, ever. Sing all the songs.
word for word, real authentic. But you know it ain't. You say, I have a feeling something great is going to happen for you here. <laughs> but you know it ain't. Come on now. That's nice of you to say, though, I guess. As a side note, there are some real ones out there. Disclaimer, this does not apply to you. Y'all know who you are. But for the most part, for everybody else, you can say it's real. But you know it ain't. <laughs> Come on. You out here like, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But you know you ain't. <laughs> Run around town with a big old booty. Talking about it's real. It's mine. But you know it ain't. You know.
scared? Never in my doggone life have I ever ran from a fight. And I ain't running now. What'd you say? That's what I thought. Trying to call the police on somebody for eating ice cream. Going to the park. Hanging out. Graduating. Looking at me sideways. Is you out your mind? Or is you crazy? You better put your money on another pony jack because I ain't the one. I will let you know about yourself and I will embarrass you in front of God and everybody. Now what? What she gonna do?
Mr. Tyson, what do you think of that? Okay, I, I'm good with that. You think you won the fight? Yeah, but I'm good with a draw. Why? Because I entertained the crowd. The crowd was happy with it. We'll be back to you in a second. You happy with this draw? Hell no, I ain't never said if I would draw. I wear draws. I don't do draws. I like it. But the dude is so strong, man. And I understand why they say some things are bucket list. Because when he hits you, if it's his head, his punches, his body shots, don't matter. Everything hurts. So for me, I thought I did enough boxing on the outside to edge it out. But, you know, I'm cool with a draw. I mean, we just might have tried to do it again. But I don't know. You looked exhausted for a little while. Did the body shots take a toll? The body shots definitely took a toll. The body shots are what make you exhausted. Any good fighter knows that. And I knew it, too. I thought I had a six-pack that was all right, but I guess I'm going to give me a 12-pack because the six ain't getting it. It came back like nothing. You took it. You took it. I knew I hit you with a good shot. You took it. You took it. Hey, I respect that. I respect that. Mike, at age 54, you haven't been in the ring for 15 years. How would you assess your performance, your stamina, and overall how you perform? Well, I'm used to doing it for three minutes, and um, sometimes that two minutes felt like three minutes. <laughs> and um, I'm just happy I got this under my belt, and I'm continuing to go further and do more. You'll do this again? Absolutely. He's going to be on the card as well. Well, let me, let me ask you about your performance. What, what was it like for you to be in the ring as compared to what it was when you left as a professional? I was very happy to be here, and um, despite performance-wise, yeah, despite what anybody said, but despite what everybody said, I was so happy to go to eight rounds. Because everybody knows I can knock somebody out, but everybody don't know I can go to eight rounds and ten rounds, and that's what I'm more grateful for now than anything. And no knockers, knockers don't mean nothing. You gotta be able to go the distance. That's fighting. Everybody has a plan until they get hit. You got hit, and, and how did it affect you? I went to Plan B. I hit him back. <laughs> Uh, Roy, uh, you want to continue this now at age 51, or, or, or did you get dissatisfied at this point? Man, it's hard to say. My Pensacola fans love me. We got to do this again. Everybody loves Mike. Um, I love Mike, too. But, uh, you know, it's something to take them punches in there from Mike. So, you know, I go talk to my family, see how they feel about it. If they thought they enjoyed what they saw, then if we want to do it again, we'll come back and do it again. But, uh, you know, me, like I said, Pensacola in the house. I want to thank everybody who helped me out. Big Al, Tom, Wop, um, Russ, everybody on my team, Jim Foster. I mean, so many people, everybody in Pensacola, Pensacola in the house still. Thank y'all for tuning in. Thank the whole world for tuning in, especially my, Rus my Russian citizens, my Russian people. Um, I want to say thank to everybody who gave us the homage, sent us out the right way. And if everything goes well, like I said, and the family's cool with it, then... A lot of people were afraid, Roy, you might get hurt tonight. Were you really afraid in the back of your head that something could happen that, that might have put you in peril? I was afraid I might get hurt. I, was, I, I didn't fight in 20 years. He only stopped fighting for three years. I'm afraid I might get Why nobody care about my ass? Well, that's typical, right? He fighting 15 years. He stopped fighting three years ago, and everybody worrying about his ass. No, nobody thinks that a giant is going to fall. I haven't did this in 15, 16 years. I'm not a giant. I'm a beginner. Hey, this is Helen. Hey, this is Celia. And we are Linubian. And you're listening to Psychotic But Cool with your host DJ Rome on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Little boy, little boy, when you get older, you can ask me all the questions. Boys and 
KCWGTheTruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, of course, on this program, we are continuing our discussions about the, the vast mental health needs of our community across the country, across the planet, really, especially during this time of coronavirus. And I've had a multitude of experts from across the country, across many spectrums of mental health and its supporting services on this show to help provide a little guiding light for us all to make sure that we're getting our needs met during these crazy times. And uh, this next guest will uh, will represent no drop in that standard whatsoever. In fact, uh, this brother has done some amazing work out there on the East Coast. He's out there in the DMV, if I'm not mistaken. He's a faculty member of the Department of Psychology for Howard University, as well as the School of Divinity. It is my honor to meet this good brother. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time the Psychotic Bump School, <laughs> Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Dr. Ronald Hobson. Dr. Hobson, are you there? I am here. Hello. How are you? Oh, we are cool and the gang. Talk about dating myself. It's like I've been saying that for the last several years, uh, Dr. Hobson. Uh, of course, in constant homage to the great and late Ronald Bell of Cool and the Gang. But uh, it's really good to hear your voice, man. How are you getting through this holiday season so far? Well, staying safe, being careful, taking it seriously and doing all right, keeping my spirits up. Yeah, man. Well, I am uh, really pleased to meet you. And I'm always curious to see how this work that we do collectively, uh, though separately, manifests itself out there on the East Coast where you are in the DMV. I've had a lot of California mental health experts on the show, uh, good brother Ronald. And um, I don't think you you might be the first one I've had from, uh, you know, pure, straight uh, 
uh, East Coast Direct. So uh, what can you tell us about how coronavirus has manifested itself out there on your campus of Howard and um, how the work has been impacted? How has it changed? How has it evolved? Uh, what's the landscape like in the mental health arena at your university, good brother, Dr. Hobson? Yes, well, uh, Howard University has been extremely responsible and careful uh, around managing the COVID pandemic. And uh, we have, uh, of course, been conducting our classes virtually um, this semester, as well as we will be continue to do so next semester. And uh, I do not have exact figures on uh, any COVID outbreak at Howard, but I, there is none. I mean, Howard has very much more carefully um, to uh, uh, ensure that our students as well as our faculty and staff stay safe. And so we have had no problem with COVID on campus at all. Right. And I think we're fortunate to be in the district um, where our mayor has also been extremely responsible and followed the science mm -hmm. uh, as has our president who is himself a physician. Um, they mm -hmm. very careful to follow the science and follow the guidelines um, of the uh, CDC and beyond in making sure to ensure the safety of people. So we have basically general mask wearing. There's no issues around that with, um, with, within the city, save some of the people on Capitol Hill who of course are, um, uh, or uh, unfortunately have uh, succumbed to the politicization of mask wearing of public safety, yeah. certainly so. But the city is very, um, very much been responsible. We have had an uptick in cases here in the city, but it's been nothing like anywhere, uh, most other places in the country. We've just been very responsible and careful. And uh, so the university is doing well and being responsible and the city is doing well and being responsible. And uh, so, so far we're, we're taking care of ourselves and our students quite well. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, you're speaking about Mayor Bowser, I'm assuming. Yes, exactly. And um, leadership setting the example like that really makes a huge difference. So what can you tell us about the presence of any COVID fatigue? Um, how exhausted are students and staff and faculty members for having to follow these and adhere to these guidelines for so long? Are people getting tired or does it seem like they're still upholding the same practices and behavior that got them to this point? Well, I'm sure it's both things. I mean, certainly I'm, I'm tired, but our, yeah. our fatigue is not giving way to irresponsibility. I mean, we certainly uh, understand that the more we can adhere to these uh, precautions, the sooner we can bring this thing down to a manageable level. So um, uh, there's no concerns around the neighborhood, the area, the city, certainly not the university. Um, that there's any sort of breaking down of, of good public health practices because we're fatigued. We'll, we'll be happy to be able to gather again for faculty to gather again oh, with yes. the students. Um, but we're, you know, we're recognizing that because of the irresponsibility uh, at the federal level, we've got to just uh, hunker down until we can get this thing back in hand. So we're hanging yeah. in. Absolutely. Well, thank God for that. So Hanging in has also uh, ushered in a new incoming administration. And um, in the wake of that, of course, there's still going to be this uh, potentially torrential transition of power. Um, 
Do you, have you had any thoughts all along? I mean, given that you uh, your work focuses on the cross section of divinity and psychology work, uh, what's been your take on how this country even evolved? I mean, we'll need a whole <laughs> we'll need a whole uh, ninety minutes to probably break it all down. Honestly, um, I'm just wondering if you've had a chance to just analyze and just see how do we get to this point and um, what would, you, what would you say your level, where is your level of optimism going forward now that we're coming out of one era and perhaps embarking upon another one with Biden-Harris? Dr. Hobson, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Well, I am uh, guardedly optimistic. Um, I think that uh, the country has really tasted um, what we can become, perhaps mm -hmm. as historians have recently suggested we may have dodged an authoritarian bullet with this election. We may have. And um, I think that that has shocked enough of us that um, while 74 million people didn't think that this was untenable, more than 80 million people did. And mm -hmm. that's good news. And so um, my work has for a long time been trying to think about the role of religion and how uh, the political landscape of the country has evolved. Um, so I have been for a long time thinking about this and did some work on this some years ago. And uh, I think that we have a struggle in the country because religion, uh, the public face of, of Christianity, I should say, has been um, co-opted by a radical right-wing ideology such that there's nothing Christian about the people who claim to be evangelical Christians uh, who support the Republican Party and the, these right-wing authoritarian uh, inspired at least candidates. So mm -hmm. um, we're in a difficult situation because religion generally is taken to be a positive good uh, in the public square, but um, the uh, Christian faith has been hijacked by right-wing ideologues and uh, they now masquerade as Christians when they're really just right-wing extremist and perhaps white supremacists even. So um, we have a problem with the moral basis of the country because we cannot look to religious leaders, at least of the Christian faith. Um, the generically popular religious leaders are not the ones that we can look to to guide the country uh, toward a more democratic um, resurgence. So I'm guardedly optimistic because, you know, 80 million people did see an, another way. And, um, and so we've got to now keep the pressure on and begin to rearticulate on the left um, the values of the Christian faith, which happen to be um, uh, in accord with ideologies that support inclusivity, that support openness, that support concern for those who are less fortunate, for the poor and the needy, and um, uh, support the decrease in militarism and the democ democratization of power. So those are things that are fundamentally Christian if anybody's read the gospel. So um, the work for us is to reestablish that, reassert that, and um, uh, to support this administration in, um, in trying to restore basically the damaged soul of America. Yeah, I, I have that sense too, um, Dr. Hobson, because there's been little discussion in, in my uh, political tenure um, a recent candidate, Indiana candidate, uh, Pete Buttigieg, was one of the first ones that I heard on a, a debate stage talking about the evangelical left 
as if it's not really existed all these years. And, you know, you and I know that sisters and our grandmamas and our aunties and mamas, they took our their black sons and grandsons and nephews to church. Absolutely. And they they held it down for us. So we know uh, firsthand, uh, you know, with firsthand experience that we know that there is a very strong contingency of a, a, a faith in God and the Lord. And, you know, we take that very seriously. Now, I'll tell you this, a personal story. I grew up in a household that was very conservative and religious. And my grandmother used to love watching Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Falwell. Sure, um, and that, those were, at that time, the, the, the very tenets of what gospel was. And I didn't have an eye toward racism and uh, white nationalism. And until Fred Price in the late 90s, I think, went on television and was talking about the, the racism in the church, I hadn't really considered it. Yeah. And so seeing Kenneth Copeland the other day, Dr. Hobson, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit out there, just laughing out loud at the, uh, the outcome of this election that had determined that the president-elect did win the race. Yes. And he's up there carrying on like that. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you that the irreparable damage that he's potentially doing to people aspiring to faith is going to be sharply tested. What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith. And Sean Carter-Peterson. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School. With your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. The best internet radio station on the planet. Woo! (laughs) Hey, this is DJ Umami from Oakland, California, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Bobby, check it out, you got me mesmerized, with your black hair and the fat ass thighs, street poetry is my everyday, but yo, I gotta stop when you try my way, if I was working at the club, you would not pay, but yo, my man, Fife Diggy, he got something to say, I like him all yellow, but I'm ripping my hips, Keep it on the now, yo, we keep it discreet 
guitarist Eric Clapton is in the news with Van Morrison. They're doing a protest song against the, uh, the lockdowns and the, the mandatory uh, scaling back that many countries are doing. I think they're doing it over there in the UK. And uh, looking up his history, um, he has had a long story history of racism that I never knew about. There's always a reason why, I, well, I was trying to put my finger on it. It's like, there's something about this guy's plan that I just don't get. And is it just whack or I just don't get it? But I always gave him a pass because he's such a revered musician. Right. And now I know why. There's something off about this guy. And so I, I just say that to parallel with the fact that when you go for a long period of time, Dr. Hobson, and you're under the assumption of uh, your, your childhood indoctrination, for the lack of a better term, and you sort of wake up and realize, uh, in my case, I'm just speaking personally, that what you have always sensed was a little bit off has, you know, more in more modern times has now been confirmed that, that there is a reason why that that hesitation was there. Um, it it kind of makes sense now to why uh, these discussions about having this sort of kumbaya moment now that the Biden-Harris administration is coming in, that somehow we need to be forgiving and try to move on past this Trump area because perhaps it's, it's, it's you know, more uh, biblically informed to do so, to, to extend forgiveness, to open our arms and try to um, find some consensus again and try to uh, practice those tenets that Joe Biden is uh, talking about with regard to reaching across the aisle and working together again, like government is supposed to, you know, when it's for functioning in its healthiest forms. But what are your thoughts, Dr. Hobson, on this notion of uh, how do we heal? you know, between our mental health and, you know, with, with, with the gospel and everything that uh, his opponents, you know, I'm using Joe Biden's terms now, uh, Trump's opponents have had to endure under his uh, tenure in office. And now people are questioning whether or not the better approach is to still take the high road and perhaps even attempt to find some consensus with people who have this, this really virulent uh, racist white nationalist past. Uh, what are your thoughts on trying to do that? And any efficacy, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's 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 an important question. I I do think we need to understand that Biden is president. So, um, what unfortunately the outgoing person did not understand because he really was at best a twelve-year-old under-socialized boy. Mm -hmm. Um, he did not understand that the presidency is a huge megaphone. So yeah. whatever is spoken from the Oval Office is amplified factors more. And so I understand completely Biden talking about unity. Um, I mean, what, what other option would he have? Um, uh, right. it, would be, it would just be completely dangerous for him to say anything other than that. I think on the ground when, where we live and where we'll be uh, engaging in political struggle, we'll have to be, as the scripture says, we'll have to be shrewd as a serpent, but you know, gentle as a lamb. I mean, and those two things are not uh, in opposition. We need to be rigorous in not giving way to any uh, space for white supremacy, for white ideology, racist ideologies, for ideologies that continue to discriminate against the poor and the uh, less, uh, less privileged, uh, while at the same time helping them to realize, and this is the work basically of um, of bringing people out of a kind of indoctrination uh, mm -hmm. to help them see that their own advocacy, they were advocating for their own harm. Um, and, uh, and the work for us is to work for policies that are going to benefit our communities because by definition, it will benefit these white communities. Excellent. And then there will have to be some number of us at some level of public um, discourse who will be willing to challenge the implicit and explicit racism and ask these uh, people, has this worked for you? I mean, the irony is the Southern states that have been Republican for the last 55 years or so, at least since, um, uh, since Nixon, mm. uh, continue to be the poorest states in the union. And so right. their, uh, the, their ideologies haven't worked. It hasn't even helped them. So mm. the work for us is to help them to see that and to realize that we're not gonna bring along everyone. And some people, right. we will never be able to, to help their brainwashing. It just has happened. The white racist ideology is too, too deep in their, in their genes, if you will. But hmm. um, we need to peel off enough percentage of them to just keep the majority. And, uh, and I think we can work to that end. So this Kumbaya stuff, of course, he's gotta say that at the public level. Mm -hmm. but, um, what we've gotta do is, uh, push as far as we can to get policies that will benefit uh, the least of these, which then will also benefit white people. Wow. Um, and then maybe they will uh, begin, enough of them will mm -hmm. wake up. Some of them won't. I mean, racists, after all, they killed their sons and daughters in the Civil War, and 90% of the South didn't own enslaved people. So it was absurd. But mm -hmm. they're willing to die rather than give up being white. We need to peel mm -hmm. off some percentage of those people to help them wake up and uh and it's possible stacy abrams in georgia showed us how to do that absolutely and, uh, and we've got to keep that up yes we do okay i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna grind this axe one more time before i move on because um there was a website that started a couple of days ago by i can't remember which members of the democratic caucus put it together but it's called trump accountability um dot net and the idea was that um it may have been uh Ocasio-Cortez that was a part of it. But the idea was that 
are we keeping track of all the transgressions that have been committed under this administration so that the next administration can look into uh, exploring the rules or you know, di directly holding them accountable for their action? So based on that and what you're just talking about in terms of uh, Biden needing to strike this, this, this conciliatory tone, uh, does that pale in comparison? Is there a way to do both? Or Okay, but the reason why I'm saying that is because they have since uh, taken that website down and put a disclaimer at the bottom that says, we're not gonna pursue this at this time, yeah. right? So yeah. they're, they're saying, it's, it seems like the better angels always come out of Democrats you know, and I, I, I've said repeatedly, Dr. Hobson, that I, I'm trying not to be too partisan on this show with, between Democrat and Republican, but it's so clear to me yeah. which, which side is actually trying to appeal to their own better angels. And it's only one side that's talking, even talking about this kumbaya stuff. I never hear it from Republicans, never. Right. So is there, so what you're saying is that, is, is there, well, I'm asking, is there a way to hold, uh, previous transgressions accountable in lieu of needing to heal at the same time? Is that possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, but I think just pragmatically, the best place for that to be focused is at the state level. Um, okay. I think that, you know, I think that New York will deal with the Trumps. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think that what we have to do is keep our eye on the ball, which is, first of all, that the country not fracture into a, another sort of uh, cold civil war. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, whether Trump is in court at the state level or federal level doesn't matter. If he's in court, if he's done some things that are, are illegal, then he ought to stand. No man should be above the law. No woman should be above the law. So um, I think it is possible to, um, to do that. I think that Biden and the Democrats are right to be conciliatory because the thing we don't understand is that the core of and the base of the Republican Party is a death cult. They will destroy themselves to stay loyal to their leader mm -hmm. because their leader is killing them by way of the neglect of the management of the coronavirus. And so they, um, that, but they will follow him. So we, we can't do the parallel thing on the, on, the, on the side of right. We want to even preserve their life. So we don't want right. to further inflame passions such that, you know, people start, you know, marching to state capitals with the 320 million guns that we have in this country. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think that it's uh, a bad idea for the Democrats to be conciliatory while at the same time insisting that no person is above the law and the state can handle, can handle whatever may be the transgressions of, uh, of these people. Um, and uh, and and the federal government has no no sway over that, so mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. can't then argue that it's it's revenge, you know. So, mm. um, but I think we have to be careful because we're dealing with people on the right, the extremists, the base of the party. It's it's they're suicidal. It's a death cult. You know, what? Uh, I wish you were exaggerating, but you're not. I saw a caller call into uh, the Rush Limbaugh show the other day, uh, crying that you know. Rush, you're all we got. Trump is all we got. And I would literally die for Donald Trump. That's what he said. Yes. Uh, while in a bathtub of tears, he was saying that. So I wish you were exaggerating, Dr. Hobson, but I know you're not. Yes, it, it, it is. It, and it's, you know, we're no different than, you know, other countries, other Italy, Germany, I mean, Brazil. I mean, there's no, 
um, human beings are the same. And once you tap into a core fear or a core conviction of people, um, they will follow you over a cliff like the lemmings. And, um, and so uh, this man has, the Republican Party has been nurturing this ever since Nixon and the Southern Strategy and Reagan and the Welfare Queen and George H.W. with Willie Horton and, um, uh, and even W. with so-called compassionate conservatives. They've been nurturing this, this, uh, this virus of racism uh, and white supremacy that never died. You know, of course, from the Civil War, it never died, but they've been nurturing this, and now this is the, the consequence of it. Look at that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to the good brother, Dr. Ronald Hobson. He's a clinical psychotherapist on the East Coast out there at Howard University. He's a faculty member of the Department of Psychology and the School of Divinity. We're just having a great chat, y'all. This is right up our alley. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, uh, you've been breaking it down, good brother, and uh, I wanted to pick your brain some more since we're talking uh, the, the hybrid of politics and mental health and faith and the, the whole thing, because all of these are so intersectional in the lives of Black folks, right? I mean, it's hard to extract one from the other and just keep this uh, a totally segregated discussion. All these issues merge together. So one more thing, because I know we don't have a lot of time with you. I got to pick your brain on this one, because this I, I got a pet peeve, Dr. Hobson. I really, really do. And it, because Barack Obama has been out there, uh, I guess he's promoting a book. It was recently on The Breakfast Club. And there's something that is so triggering about this brother in our own community. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about people who now may have voted for him back then, but now they call themselves apolitical or progressive or not down with the two party system at all not a part of the, the democratic sheep and uh, they're independent thinkers and they are so disappointed with his legacy that they take no hesitation with bashing him. I mean, they cast so many harmful aspersions against the brother as if he wasn't the first. They treat him like the 44th, which I understand, but he was still the first black one, all right? right. So um, do you have any thoughts you could share with us before we let you go about the progressive movement and how that's going to play into the future of the politics of the Biden-Harris administration? Dr. Hobson, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a challenging and good question. Um, I, I think on Obama, I mean, I think you're exactly right to call him a triggering figure. And I think that, um, unfortunately, the expectations were so high yeah. that it really was a messiah situation that um uh that i think there was a version of post-racial that even uh progressives and black folks bought into was obama which was uh that uh now we will have an advocate that will get things done um on a significant scale and we forget that obama only had two years with uh, the house and the senate and after that oh. Um, he was, uh, his hands were quite literally tied. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we also uh, forget that from his uh, inauguration, in fact, the night of his inauguration, many people may not know that a group of right-wing journalists um, met in Washington uh, and uh, uh, discussed how they were going to block um, Obama's uh, work and his program uh, and McConnell's commitment at that time, as you may recall, was to making him a one-term president. Now that failed, but yep. what they did do is manage to water down or prevent anything that Obama 
try to get done. And so I think we were um, unwise to have such high expectations beyond the fact that, you know, I mean, he does, he doesn't walk on water. He's a mainstream politician. And so certainly then he was a mainstream politician. And, uh, um, and so we had uh, no right to expect him to be, uh, to be a savior, even though it's understandable given how much we've suffered in this country. So I think the, the fate of progressivism now has to start with reality. And I think that, um, the challenge for us as progressives is to start where we are and push to where we want to go being strategic. One of the things we can learn from the right wingers is they've been, for example, working on the judiciary for the last 30 years. And uh, they've had a long-term plan Mm -hmm. to get these judges in place, especially these lifetime appointments, um, in place, and now they've done it. I mean, it's not total, yeah. and hopefully, we will be able to to uh, to stem that tide some. Particularly mm-hmm. if we get the Senate, but even if we don't get the Senate, um, but we need to develop longer term strategies, which then will help us to not be so fractious with each other. Um, mm-hmm. If we could use a little more unity, I mean, you know, there's a saying that the Republicans fall in line and the Democrats fall in love. Yes. Well, you know, when we fall in love, when you fall out of love, it can be pretty ugly, you know. And so Absolutely. we need to learn to be a little more measured at both ends. We don't, we don't need to fall in love so much as be pragmatic and say, okay, what do we need to do to get this done? So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, AOC and Jim Clyburn need to, need to create a coalition. They're mm-hmm. both aiming for the same thing. AOC won't be able to get everything she wants, you know, next year. And Clyburn will have to let go a little bit and tolerate That's a little right. more than he's accustomed to. And, uh, and uh, Biden will have to find a middle way. But um, I think we'll need to be both patient and strategic and think more long term. Uh, and I think as we learn from people like Sean Patrick Maloney in New York, who won a Trump district and Here's a gay Democrat um, uh, man uh, who won in that district uh, and listen more to how they're threading that needle and mm. and thread the needle because we're just threading the needle. We got a garment we've got yet to sew. And I think we need to be patient to get that needle threaded, which means sometimes not being absolutely pure um, mm. and not getting an end goal right now in the middle of the process. So. Um, uh, but at the same time, not co- compromising with fundamentals. I mean, we've got to assume well, inclusive and assume that we're going to care for those who are less fortunate, and we've got to roll back these obscene tax breaks for um, uh, yes. these companies, that kind of oh. thing. So uh, I, I'm going on, but in any case, that that's that's some of my thought about that. Well, I appreciate it. That's why I posed the question to you because I didn't have an eloquent response to it because you just demonstrated how that needle could be threaded. You know, because it's going to take a little bit of giving up on both sides, giving up, you know, your idea of, a, you know, perfect outcome. You right. know, that, that's what compromise is. So one more thing before I let you go. Um, I was concerned and had frequent discussions on this show, Dr. Hobson, about the fact that is it possible that they're, they're pushing the, the black thing too far? When I say the black thing, uh, you mentioned Mayor Muriel Bowser. Uh, when she put Black Lives Matter down on that street, I can't remember what it was formerly called. You do, but it's now called Black Lives Matter Plaza. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and the fact, the fact that there was such a rallying cry around that cause in the wake of George Floyd and Brianna and Ahmad and Rashard, Jacob Blake, who thankfully is still here. Nevertheless, there was this uh, tone in the country that there was uh, the potential of running into black fatigue, let alone COVID fatigue. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Kamala Harris on the ticket, it ended up energizing the base. And they have long been told that, the Democratic Party, I mean, to energize your base. You know, there's mm -hmm. been no uh, more reliable voting block for Democrats than Black women. And it, it finally right. happened. So uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm leading up to a question here. Nevertheless, they still paint Black Lives Matter with Antifa as being sort of a terrorist agent hostile to the, the fabric of what America is supposed to be, or at least what right-wingers think it should be. So uh, a final thought from you on uh, all of that. Uh, do you think with Kamala Harris, again, you were speaking with Obama about having measured expectations. Uh, is it possible that uh, Black people uh, can exercise similar restraint and, um, and hold out uh, going too hard on Kamala? too soon, the fact that she's there, it took how many years for her to get there, you know? So right. uh, can you share some final thoughts with us about continuing on about how, how to modulate our expectations further with, the, we have another black person in the White House this time, a sister, and how patient should black people be rather than expect too much too soon? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, your question is the response. I mean, we've got to be, uh, patient because we've got a long game. That's the thing that I think progressives and, uh, have to understand. We have to get more in, oriented toward a long game and, um, and realize that you know Kamala Harris is wonderful. She's in the White House, but Kamala Harris has no power that Biden doesn't give her. I mean, that, 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 that's a, that except to preside over the Senate uh, uh, and um, uh, when, when needed. So uh, we, our expectations need to start with reality and we need to always anchor ourselves with the starting point. I think um, we, we need to remember that we can't go from uh, just barely escaping a racist authoritarian winning mm. the White House for a second time. We can't go from that to a multiracial society where everybody has a voice by February. That's not mm. gonna happen and mm. so what we need to do is uh, remind ourselves that it's in increments that um, absolutely that, uh, a journey is completed, and so our we got to remember she's vice president and uh, celebrate that and keep the pressure and the advocacy on Biden, realistic pressure, realistic advocacy um, to uh, to move things forward absolutely. and celebrate the the victories and understand the ne the necessary compromises. And you know the criticisms when that's necessary. That certainly will be a part of it. But let's not hate each other because we don't have to fall in love to work together. Let's not fall into hate when we get disappointed by each other. You know, well, Dr. Hobson, you know what it reminds me of, and I know we gotta let you go, but you know what it reminds me of? I saw the movie Rush Hour Three. Mm -hmm. You remember Rush Hour Three? It was a uh, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker, and uh, it was uh, Jackie Chan's brother who was the villain. Okay. Jackie okay. Chan. Oh, 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 yeah. I think I do remember three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because th this is what the, the battle between progressives and Democrats reminds me of. It's like the, the guy was clearly trying to kill Jackie Chan, and yet Jackie Chan was always trying to save him. I mean, right. they, they were fighting on top of a, a construction site. Looks sure, like I remember a that. 
Dude, yeah, yes. and he's yes. trying to kill Jackie Chan, and right. as soon as he has the first opportunity, he's trying to knock him off the building. Right. And Jackie Chan is forever trying to save him. And the right. same thing with uh, Thor. I didn't see all the Thor movies, but that relationship reminds me of Thor and Loki. It's like, huh. this is why yeah. the trust is so fractured, because Loki, you trying to kill me too. <laughs> you know, I love you, but it's like, we have to work together like Dr. Hobson said. Well, uh, I definitely want to have you back so we could talk more about these issues. Do you have a way for people to reach out to you if they want to find out more about your work and how they can access some of your private services, perhaps? Um, well, they can always find me at, on websites at Howard University um, uh, in the School of Divinity as well okay. as in the Department of Psychology. So, um, so that's a that's a good place to. Uh, that's a good place. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll send them there. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, will you come back and join us again on Psychotic Bump School? I certainly will. I certainly will. And I appreciate the invitation and I will indeed come back. Okay. Well, thank you for accepting and uh, happy holidays to you. We'll be definitely thank calling you again. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guest, Miss Lori Peacock, and as well as the good brother, Dr. Ronald Hobson. Also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.